welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. Sorry, I was not able to put out this episode last week. I won a karaoke competition, but I did lose my voice and just figured I've already done some episodes where I'm like kind of on the border and I was like, maybe not this time. However, I definitely got the episodes mixed up in order or whoever I was gossiping with got the mix in order because I swear that someone said after amen send money is when the show jumped the shark they mean next week because i had some downtime again wasn't feeling super hot so i just kind of like caught up on a lot of season four and i was like oh god so next week is going to be interesting um if you are a fan of the episode maybe do not tune in but this episode and other episodes in season four i remember so, so, so vividly. Because I remember this. I remember the theme. So let me get this out of the way. Kids, time to exit the room. This is not an episode to play in front of your children. I will be putting an explicit uh, warning on this as well. Because let's get down into it. We are going to break down season four, episode three, Death and the Lady. Surprise, surprise. What do you think it's about? Per IMDb, Crockett attempts to prove that a murder in a snuff film was real. Yes, this is how I learned about snuff films, and I thought they were a lot more prevalent than, well, you know what? I don't want to know. I don't want to dig down that rabbit hole because just this cold open gave me such an uneasy feeling. I had to pause it. And I just like remember my body just like shook, like that kind of icky cold feeling. <sighs> if you want. If you really want to absorb this episode, go check out the gallery. Look at what this guy is wearing and the face he's making. Then you have to hear the voice. And I should have like a nausea warning because this is what it made me feel like. The very next moment of this film will change your mind forever about art and pornography, my friends. All right, so some quick observations. First of all, the song that you can kind of hear in the background is Vet for the Insane by Fields of Nephilim. Number two, I'm going to play this sound clip for you in a bit. I'm not going to spoil what the name of this event is called. Three, it's a erotic film, more pornography award ceremony held outside people are hanging out of windows watching people are in cars and they're broadcasting pornography onto a projector outside of Miami now again like I just don't think you can get around those obscenity laws like what if there was a kid driving by I I just this whole cold open just like makes me icky um but before let me now that your body is already kind of shaking let me try to make you pee your pants with this next clip the 11th annual continental erotic film critics festival 11th annual continental erotic film critic festival (laughs) hold on the 11th annual Sorry, the 11th Annual Continental Erotic Film Critic Festival. What? 
So is it like TIFF or CAN where like you vote and there's a panel of steep judges? Like, again, this is being held outside. Like, I don't see any kind of organization. There's no dais. There's no like judge or jury I see. Like, it just seems very makeshift, but... They are presenting this award, which is just a foot, and it kind of looks like it's in uh, fishnets and heels. They're presenting it to the director of this snuff film, Death and the Lady, Milton Glanz. It is spelled G-L-A-N-T-Z. I thought it was Glanz, like D-S. I was like, oh, that's funny. And just as he's about to win this award, again, he's very cool for school. He has sunglasses on, even though it's night outside. Just, you know, seems very cool. Uh, He is the guy from CSI. He is, um, like, the guy that, oh my god, what's his character's name? Captain Brass. That's it. Sorry, I was like, I knew. I had it at the tip of my tongue, and I totally forgot Definitely, he looks familiar. Now, there's more CSI that I will link into this episode, but let's get back to the cold open. He accepts this award, and just as the crowd is getting riled up, this one guy runs past Gina and Trudy undercover to scream that Milton Glantz is a murderer. That's pretty wild, right? You murderer! You're gonna play! Okay, Gina and Trudy look like a million bucks with these like body con body suits and lace makeup hair done. I guess they're undercover to see. Again, I. <laughs> Wouldn't Crockett and Tubbs would have wanted to take this assignment? That's what I would have thought. And it would have made more sense. Remember, episode two, Heart of Darkness, that was their undercover. I think that's, again, I'm just wiping my hands. So that's a little wild. So. Gina and Trudy escort him out. He gets brought back to OCB after the open. I really want to point out some stylistic cinematography choices that I really enjoyed in this episode. Really want to give the heads up that I will talk about this a lot, but I really like the overhead shots. There's a lot of them in this episode and I'm trying to kind of tie the theme together. I had it in my head earlier this morning, and I want to just bring that to you because it happens in different scenes with different people. And I really like the way that this is used when Crockett interacts with Glance. And you can see, you know, like the high moral ground versus low. But in this case, they are talking with the witness who is trying to alert them to something that's going on. However, this guy does not have the best track record but he was on set he claims that the killing was real and then when they're asking for more proof more witnesses oh the crew already got sent home for the day isn't that convenient glance had called the rap about five and everybody took off and i'm heading toward the door when here comes blondie and another guy in a wolf's head and he says that we're gonna do it again is that another guy in a wolf's head who was it i didn't see it all Blondie gets back in bed and we run through the snuff just like before, except for this time, the guy in a wolf's head really kills her. Sorry, pal. Nobody snuffs anybody with an entire film crew's witness. I told you, we'd wrap the crew. It was just the three of us. You couldn't stop it, huh? He had a knife. 
Maybe Glance didn't do it, but it was his film! Crockett and Tubbs leave the interrogation room and they go back, talk with Gina, Trudy, Switek about this film. They don't really trust this guy. He has a pretty significant rap sheet. But again, like he seems so dead certain that this really happened. And he would essentially blackball himself from this particular niche industry if he were to lie. However, I guess everyone at OCB has had to see it, and this is what Gina thinks. Other parts of it are a mild turn-on. Glance has a nice touch. Gina, I saw the film this morning. <laughs> this was right after Trudy, because like a little bit taken aback by the violence against women, rated 11 on that scale. So it turns out instead of going to the 11th annual Continental Erotic Film Critic Festival. <laughs> they were doing a raid on a crack house and they hand Gina and Trudy, mostly Gina, the banker's box full of evidence to go by. And as Gina's digging through, she feels something move and she gets a little spooked. She doesn't know what it is. Crockett kind of pushed her off to the side so she's being a baby and they see what's inside. Oh, yeah, well, swell. Here, come on, it's your evidence. You look. For goodness sake. Nice police officer like you. Oh. Huh. <laughs> I wonder how that got there. Oh. Oh. Probably followed by those rats, huh? Didn't you lose a kitty? It's so sweet. It's like this little orange kitten, and she looks so happy. And I remember her big, white, fluffy cat from um, season two. So that makes me so sad if something happened to that kitty. But I thought that was a really sweet way for Crockett to, you know, kind of fill that gap. Then let's get back to the case. So Castillo wants to keep the file open because the mayor has six paintings that Milton Glantz has painted. So they want to, you know, just kind of keep an eye on where the funds are going, what could be hidden, what strings could be pulled, just in case. Castillo notices the kitten. What's that doing here? Evidence? Oh, so cute. I even wrote in my notes, like, oh, the newest little member of OCB. Very cute. But let's get back to being a little bit more depressing. Crockett is going to visit Milton Glantz. Goes to his studio. It kind of looks more like a live-work loft kind of thing. Not in the greatest part of town. We see Crockett park his Testarossa pretty crappily. <laughs> In kind of a alley full of garbage, there is also another stray cat there. Um, yeah, he's just parking his Testarossa there. That's not bait at all. And there is an abandoned boat behind him <laughs> in the same alley. And we see some people pick up a homeless guy outside, bring him inside. Turns out they are going to use him for this art project where they're going to wrap him in saran wrap. And then as Crockett's questioning glance, first glance doesn't realize that he's a cop. He thinks he's just pressed. Doesn't even bother. That's why he's just so up his own butt. He does ego can't even fathom that this isn't a fan. And so they have this homeless guy wrapped in saran wrap and then paint over his eyes with red paint. And I took a gif of it just because it's like it's kind of unsettling and creepy. 
as much of Melton Glantz's stuff is, he's finishing up a painting in the other room when him and Crockett talk. Crockett shows him the badge. Then he pulls a Willem Dafoe into live and die in L.A. and just sets his painting on fire. And this is funny because remember I talked about this maybe in season one or season two. There was that whole beef that was rumored to have existed between Michael Mann and William Friedkin over to live and die in L.A. And then you have this new director, Colin Buxley. Or was it in the script? That's what I'm just, yeah, because that's very, that is exactly Till of a Dino Lay. And then there's another, I think I have a picture of um, Glance in a black turtleneck, but in the movie, Willem Dafoe rocks this like cream, very thin turtleneck with his nipples hard. <laughs> I remember, I think I said to, to, I think I said to my boyfriend, I was like, the guy she tells you not to worry about. I'll try to find a picture of both and compare them just so you can really understand what I'm saying. But again, Milton Glantz just keeps skirting around the issue. Crockett keeps asking like, oh, you know, where can I contact her? Blah, 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 blah. Where'd you meet her? He basically just sends Crockett to a peep show. And that's the modeling agency that he used. He was a modeling agency that would source models from peep shows and kind of like low rent sex clubs. Now, circling back, I totally missed this. So he sets the painting on fire. But first, he asks Crockett for help. Have a light. Nope. Gave it up. Just solid confirmation from Crockett that he did indeed quit. And this is when, again, Crockett doesn't have a light. He's able to get, uh, I believe it's a lighter or maybe a match from one of his goons and set his painting on fire and copy Willem Dafoe. However, let's move on. So remember, he gets the link, not directly, but he says that he was using a high-end modeling agency that sourced from peep shows and also mentions the woman's name is Laurie Swan. While Crockett is indulging glands, Tubbs is talking firsthand to the lighting guy. He wants... A little bit more info, and the lighting guy says that Glance really wanted people to believe it was real. However, the camera guy says that he didn't shoot that one scene. He knows that it's not his style. Interesting. Now, let's go to this peep show sex club. First of all, if you are driving, next time you pull over, please go check the gallery because you need to see the sign. The neon sign that is illuminated in this peep show sex club and <laughs> Crockett and Tubbs, you know, do the rounds, ask where they can see this Lori girl, blah, blah, blah. This one beautiful, beautiful statuesque model with black hair and a white cutout dress with a perfect body. Stalking to Crockett. She says, oh yeah, you know, she might be able to help them, but they need to go into the booth. This is where it's the kind of this is so funny i (laughs) i don't want to compare it to like a prison phone room but yeah basically you have glass in the middle and the shutter will come down if you don't keep pumping coins into this machine there's also a hole for anything you desire apparently i know what that hole is for (laughs) but it's also where she gets crockett to put tips in so she'll talk a little bit more Uh, 
about uh, 22, 23. 5'8", 5'9". Long blonde hair. Maybe. You know where I can find her? So that beautiful blonde is Kelly Lynch. You'll know her from Roadhouse and you'll know her from Cocktail. So again, Crockett and Tubbs were told that this woman was murdered. She is alive and well, smiling through glass in a jerk off booth at a (laughs) peep show sex club. So she's doing okay. So what's really going on? Crockett and Tubbs, naturally not too happy. They go back to the guy who started this all. I don't want to say they rough him up a bit, but they don't really treat him that well. And this guy is hysterically crying, saying that she was murdered. So oh, they go back to OCB and they just keep reviewing the evidence. They're just watching and watching and watching. And Crockett pauses on the eyes. Hold it. Where's the crime? You said you talked to the woman and she's alive. Look at her eyes. They're dead. Now, do you recognize that very husky-voiced gentleman? That is Miguel Ferrer. I was like, oh, he's so young and baby-faced and lanky in this role. He's playing the DA. And again, he's just kind of talking to Crockett. and like, what charges am I supposed to bring up against this guy? Like, the woman that was in it is alive. So Crockett is dead set. He's going with his gut. He knows that this doesn't look right. Like, this isn't just a realistic movie. And speaking of movies, Crockett and Tubbs enlist the help of an expert. (laughs) And he kind of looks and dresses exactly what you would expect a pornography expert to look like. And uh, he has some historical... Some historical relics. See that? Pornographic graffiti from the ruins of Pompeii. (laughs) So basically they just want to dig up some more... I don't want to say dirt, but like basically to like look into the works of Laurie Swan. So he looks her up and says that the film was the second one that she's made with Martin Glantz. The first one was Twins. And he shows them a photo of Kelly Lynch and her doppelganger. Interesting, right? So Crockett goes back to the club, gets a little bit rough with her, and she ends up giving him the info of the art school she models at. Now, this time, Gina's on the case. We get another great aerial shot. Again, I'm really I'm really enjoying this director. Also, he's the same director that directed Like a Hurricane. <laughs> so I think I've mentioned this on the pod, so I do apologize if you've already heard this before. But I had Like a Hurricane on VHS, and I found this when I unearthed it a couple years ago when I went back home post-COVID. And I was able to digitalize it. So, or digitize it. And... So like a hurricane was on there and I was like, oh, my God, I must have watched this rest on this episode on repeat because I remember it so, 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 so vividly and so many times because it's just like very over the top. So, yeah, I am really looking forward to season four because we are going to have some fun. We're not going to have critically acclaimed fun, but we're going to have fun. So as Gina and Trudy go to this art school to ask a little bit more. They have the photo of her trying to find out who this twin is. And his pins are really funny. (laughs) My favorite is don't be, no, be reasonable. Do it my way. (laughs) 
So he's able to ID the two girls in the pic. He says that he hasn't seen Amy, the other one, the twin or Lori's twin, quote unquote, in some time. And he shows them her sketchbook that she left behind in her locker. And there's some skeleton pictures in there. So Crockett pretends to be a student at the art school. He just looks like such a narc. <laughs> so he goes to her apartment to give her back her sketch pad. Her sister answers the door. Babyface Penelope Ann Miller, who I got some very interesting vice tea on, and she just seems very uneasy. And she kind of, like, you can already tell that she's lying. She's like, oh, you know, my sister just left the house. It just... Doesn't seem genuine, but we'll get back to that. It is time for a party. Get ready for all these outfits. We are getting a ton of accessories. I don't know what the budget was for outfits, but this, it seems like for this episode, they just went all in on like multiple chain necklaces and bracelets. It is crazy. And it's also interesting that we have two main girls. We have Margot, which is again, Kelly Lynch. And then we have another girl and they're both decked out and Margot's in gold and the other girl's decked out in silver. And again, Crockett still wants to get to the bottom of this. Like, he keeps asking about this girl. And again, Milton keeps deflecting and then, like, tries to darvo it and flip it around to Crockett. And in the close-up, the woman who was killed. Mr. Crockett, you're fixated on dead people. Are you a necrophilia? Oh, well, speaking of dead women, Crockett, again, he still wants his information. So then Glance introduces him to Margot. Again, Kelly Lynch decked out in gold. She is the cover of this episode's cover art. Looks like a million bucks at this party. And she's just very nonchalant. He says that she's Laurie Swan's stunt double. And when Crockett straight up asks her how it felt to be portraying a woman who was raped and murdered and she just like nonchalantly replies back like i've done a lot of things oh so then at the end as crockett and tubs are leaving again with no answers no charges nothing to press against glance there's this cake celebrating the movie with a naked woman on it and he stabs the knife into the body of this woman and drags it down in the cake. And then there's a gif of him taking the knife and licking the icing off. And I kind of like that because, again, in CSI, he's like a little bit older. He's a nice guy. I'm like, you look like a real dirtbag in this scene. I like this side of you. (laughs) Again, they try to exchange words, but again, they have nothing. Like, what can they do? They don't have any evidence. They don't have a body. Oh, man. So Crockett's at home on the same fight as dance. Again, he got a TV recently. He didn't have one last season. He has got one this season. Guess who he is listening to an interview with on the TV? Or I guess he's like kind of watching the background because he's going through stills as he's overhearing Milton describe himself thusly on TV. That uh, releases in them an awareness in an unconscious level that uh, that is very frightening. And I am just a facilitator of that. I am just... Now, Tubbs comes over. You can tell that Crockett is feeling extra pensive, not only because there is no lighting in this scene in a lot of this episode. So I know that the discourse about prestige tv now is that it's too dark and you can't see anything and like this episode was really hard for me to see mine (laughs) i understand it's a very dark theme and there's a lot of darkness and 
shadows that live within and monsters and demons. So I understand. But like even these pictures I'm going through the gallery, I was like, God, he just looks extra pensive in the dark. Uh, looks like a million bucks, by the way. New style of T-shirt. You know, he had those Henleys for a while, the ribbed Henleys. He seems to be moving on to more of like a dress Mandarin collar Henley vibe as he's talking with Tubbs. Again, Tubbs is still in a three-piece suit, <laughs> looking like a million bucks. While Crockett's just chilling with this loose shirt on with his hair slicked back. So I've mentioned this before. My feeling is that Crockett was drawn to a woman. I don't want to say his mother, maybe his sister, who was a victim of abuse. And that's why he's very quick to come to women's defense and to help protect women a lot of times at his own expense. But he relays a story back from high school. Uh, again, kids, get out of the room. <laughs> I'm not laughing at what happens in the story. This is how he sets the story up. And this is how he describes the girl in question. There was this girl. She's no beauty. She's nice. Oh, my God. Oh, she had a great personality. She was super nice. Oh, and then when he keeps getting into the story, it kind of like makes that even sadder. So basically, again, this average looking woman basically got too drunk, went off with a few people from the football team. Uh, some stuff happened. One of them took a Polaroid of, I have in my notes, gangbang, of this incident and put it up in the locker room. And Sonny was saying that he, you know, he wasn't there. He didn't participate, but he should have taken it down because this girl didn't know about it. And, and, you know, that now today, that would actually be a crime. But back then with the Polaroid, there wasn't anything he could really do, but he kind of regrets not standing up for her at that time and not just taking it down. And you can tell that He's feeling similar, like he knows something wrong happened. He doesn't have the power to fix it or change it and to go back into time. So what can he do now? What power does he have now? And this is what he's struggling with. He has a DA who says that there's not really any charges they can press against this guy. Even if he did it, like what proof do they have? The girl is still alive. The girl at the art school her sister said that she just left. Yeah, that's a lie. But still, again, they don't have what it takes for any charges to stick against this guy. And speaking of Polaroids of this poor girl, uh, incapacitated, he brings up that he's been pouring over the photos, the stills of the movie. And he notes that the numbers on the stills are not in order, but they're still close. So he's still really frustrated that he doesn't have a case. And he knows that these stills couldn't have been taken in New York if the numbers are so similar. It would have been a completely different serial number had they been processed at a photo lab in New York. So he poses this to Tubbs, like, in a very good way. Like, with all this experience, how can we be wrong? Three possible doubles, and they're all alive, huh? Now, you and me and Castillo, we got how many years of experience between us? 40, 45, something like that. Mm. And we're 
then. Hell no. So Crockett's spidey sense is definitely tingling. He goes back to Amy's apartment. He, again, didn't really buy what she said the first time that her sister was just out. So he goes to ask her sister Jill for more info. This is when the dad says something that really threw me for a loop. A sister. I only got one daughter. Just one. Don't have another. Okay, dad, go to bed. Dad doesn't approve of Amy's modeling at the art school. What else doesn't he approve of? This is when Jill, Penelope, and Miller takes Crockett down the hall and basically says, like, very quietly, like, she doesn't want her dad to hear that she moved out months ago, but she doesn't give any more details. Cut to Crockett asking the coroner's assistant about any Jane Doe's that have turned up recently. Now let's go back to OCB. So Jill and her dad are in the interrogation room. And again, Crockett is asking for details about Amy. And he keeps saying how awful this film is and that they should see it, know what's happened to her. And this is when this poor girl breaks down and tells them the truth. She was dying. She had two, three weeks to live. She had thoracic cancer. Let's paint her a lot. Money she gave to Denver's treatment. Oh, man. Okay, at least at the end, after this poor girl is bawling her eyes out talking about her sister who was dying of terminal lung or throat cancer and then accepted this huge chunk of cash to make sure that her father would be taken care of, he does hug her. Um, maybe don't threaten to show them pictures and the film of her sister being murdered and also her, his daughter being murdered on camera. But I get he needed to do what he had to do. And now that I only have one daughter comment made more sense. Like, at first, I thought more like Crockett, like like Jill. Like, oh, he doesn't approve her lifestyle. Like, I have no son. I always think that Sims episode where they go see the rabbi. And he's like, I have no son. And Bart's like, we came all the way here and it's the wrong guy. And he's like, I didn't mean that literally. That's unfortunately what I thought of. But this scene was really, really, really tough. And... Crock and Tubbs go to rest glance. Again, we get another great overhead shot. We get some pink vinyl furniture. We get some red lights because, you know, red light district. Then turns out later on, before we're going to court, that glance wasn't there when they were filming the scene. So the guy in the wolf head could be anybody. However, they do get news at OCB that a body turned up and that fingerprints from a Jane Doe that washed up in Tampa matches Amy. So again, at OCB, when they're about to take him to court, they're talking to the DA. And so they have the Jane Doe. They have the body that matches the fingerprints. They have the testimony from the sister and from the father. However... They don't have an, they, and they, but unfortunately, they also have an alibi. Glanz wasn't there on set. So the DA does bring up a good point, which Crockett does not want to hear. This is no mercy killing, it is bloodless, brutal exploitation. Even if she wanted it, she was his victim. 
Look, I I'm 60% with you, Crockett. I just, I can't sell what we've got to a jury. It's all circumstantial. Come on, edge numbers, body doubles. You can't even prove that the money Amy left her father came from Glantz. Two things I'll say about the scene. I do agree. Unfortunately, he is right. Like, yes, people may seem innocent or guilty, but unless you can prove that to a jury, it doesn't really, it's not really worth all the trouble. Also, I love that Crockett is petting the cat in the scene. <laughs> and there's a great gif I have of him, like, kind of giving a death stare while he scratches the cat. It's very cute. Oh, man. So, again, let's go to court. Let's see how this all plays out. Surprise, surprise. Glance is not brought in on charges, again, because it's all circumstantial. Fortunately, Miguel Ferrer, the AD, is right. Milton, our boy Glance, however, just wants to stick it to Crockett one last time. Assuming that you can prove that I had planned it, Perhaps it was just the psychotic act of a porn star who went crazy when the cameras were running. But that's not what happened. Is it? Merely hypothetical. But it might make an interesting defense if I ever need one. Ooh, and also he doesn't fail to mention... His connections, remember that mayor of Miami owns six of his paintings and that he basically throws it in Crockett's face that all these museums and boards feel like this is censorship and that Crockett is going after him as a way of suppressing his artistic integrity. So this is also another way that he could use that to escape any charges and also to win favor with the jury. Again, this guy is playing chess, not checkers, and Crockett is pissed. Crockett is going on a nighttime drive, just like all of us. However, not like all of us, he is going in the Testarossa. Let you down. I'm waiting on the edge of town. On the edge of town. And he's getting flashbacks to the movie and guilt and he's angry. And I get this. The band's name is The Truth and the song is The Edge of Town. And I was like, wow, Crockett, just like me, I also go on angry nighttime drives. Or I go on very fun nighttime drives where I'm like, I just want to blast stuff from my iPod that somehow still exists that I downloaded from LimeWire in 2004 and just go nuts. Now, Crockett, he parks again in that shady alleyway <laughs> that's just full of garbage. And again, the Testarossa is very low. Like, I get nervous when I, you know, see plastic cups on the road. I don't want to run them over because I am very low. And I've had a plastic bag stuck underneath my car. And I just replaced all my spark plugs. And I thought that something was melting. And it turns out just was a plastic bag caught underneath. And thank God the mechanic didn't charge me because I was so embarrassed. <laughs> Like, I'm pretty savvy with that kind of stuff, but like, that was super embarrassing. So, I always check to make sure if I always, if there's something that I can't avoid on the highway, that I make sure that I see it in my rearview mirror. That's my life hack for the day. So, again, speaking of alleyways and speaking of crap getting stuck underneath the, <laughs> the chassis of the Testarossa, he goes to see Milton. And again, this is another really good shot. I love the lighting. You see Milton up at the top of the stairs with Sonny down on the main floor of this. I guess it's like kind of like a two split level loft. 
you see Milton's shadow projected onto the wall onto one of his paintings while Crockett is looking at the eyes from Death and the Lady, the dead eyes that Crockett, this is the crux of Crockett's hunt that he could see that her eyes were dead. And again, I love the furniture. I love the teal walls. This such an amazing shot. So kudos to the director. Kudos to the cinematographer. Kudos to the blocker because it's perfect. Again, Crockett could not get charges to stick. Crockett, again, similar to the girl that he talked about in high school, the no beauty one, where he can't make a change and he doesn't. Now that he tried to make a change, now that he does have the power, he still could not beat this guy. This guy just took too many steps to protect himself that wouldn't allow for any cracks in the armor. And Crockett is really pissed, but he's also really mad. You think violence is chic and artistic? Violence is fun. Do you want to know what violence is? This is violence. Is that attractive? That excite you? Again, look at the gif on the gallery. He's not punching Milton. He's slapping him up the stairs. So Milton comes down the stairs, meets Crockett at his level. Again, Crockett's always taken the high road. So I was, that's how I was trying to interpret the scene. I was like, the fact that Crockett is whooping his ass up the stairs is that Crockett's just anger is boiling over. Like, what does it refer to? Because at the end, he slaps him all the way up the stairs because he can't get any legal justice in this case. Walks out. Walks out of the alley, walks past his Testarossa. So I guess he's going to go walk it off, go to a bar. Maybe he shouldn't be going to a bar when he's driving a Testarossa that's parked in a sketchy alleyway. Who knows? But that is where we end the episode. Unfortunately, not able to get any justice. But again, Crockett was able to at least get some satisfaction at the end. That is the episode. All right. I told you we had some gossip. So let's get into it. Now, let's get the sad stuff out of the way. So Michael David Morrison, who played the guy who yelled at the party that Glance was a murderer. I looked him up because I'm like, his face kind of looks familiar. It turns out he was on As the World Turns for a long time. Died at the age of 33 and left behind a wife and daughter. Super sad. Miguel Ferrer also died recently. Um, Fun fact, I did not know that he's Rosemary Clooney's son. And therefore, he's cousins with George Clooney. Um, I personally love him, number one, in Robocop, number two, in Hasha's Part But he has a very illustrious IMDb, rest in peace. Now, let's get to the fun stuff. Our beautiful blonde of the episode, Kelly Lynch, the hot doctor in Roadhouse and the rich socialite wife in Cocktail. She is married to Mitch Glazer, who's a producer, actor, writer, also grew up in Miami and went to high school with Mickey Rourke. It's funny. I swear that someone said that she was married to Brian Glazer. And I was like, wait, like the guy that 
produced crash. <laughs> Very different guy. Mitch also has like long, curly silver hair, like wavy. Very handsome man. Good for you. That is a very beautiful couple right there. Now, I have very tepid vice tea. This is very intriguing to me. You guys might be bored with it. So Will Arnett from Toronto as well and Penelope and M- Miller were married. And I'd heard this before, like they had a very short-lived marriage. Do you want to know how short-lived this marriage was? This blew my mind. And all I spent was one day trying to get any tea or gossip I could. So they married in December 1994. They divorced in January 1995. That's insane. They were married for maybe two months if they got married December 1st and divorced January 31st. What happened? I was thinking maybe he was trying to get something with his visa But he also comes from a very wealthy family in Toronto. So I'm sure there's a way he could have like, you know, used a family friend to get a green card or get his visa renewed or what have you. So I am so, so, so curious. They've never really spoken about it. Everything that I can Google about Will Arnett and divorce, it's all about Amy Poehler. And I'm like, no, 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 this is what I want to know about because how do you get married for two months? And they weren't even dating that long. So I am so, so, so curious. I think they dated in total like two months before they got married. So they were together for four months and married for half of that. Give me all the gossip. If anybody has any leads, please let me know because this has been taking over my interest all week. I did find some sadder stuff on her more recent marriage where there were allegations of domestic violence. Then they got back together, separated. So um, I'm trying not to bum y'all out too much because, again, the guy that died at 33. Also very sad. Rest in peace, Miguel Fair. So let's play. Should I make this a new category of, like, connections? Okay. So Milton Glantz, played by Paul Guilfoyle. I already mentioned the to live and die in L.A. thing. So he was on CSI, which was executive produced. And starred William Peterson. William Peterson was in To Live and Die in L.A. with Willem Dafoe, who was wearing turtlenecks with his nipples hard, burning paintings. There we have the connection of the episode. Again, William Peterson, I would have loved for you to have been on Miami Vice. I would have loved the 80s was more prestige TV. And also, I think about this a lot. I'm kind of currently going through this just like career challenges and like where I want to go next. And your career doesn't always turn out the way it should be. Let's think about William Peterson. So he was doing a lot of action stuff in the 80s. He did Manhunter to live and die in L.A. And then, you know, his career wasn't going on the path that a lot of his peers had gone in. And again, super handsome, classically trained, Chicago theater boy, also at the Stratford in Ontario. And then he ends up executive producing and starring in CSI. The biggest TV show on the planet for like those five years. I was even watching a rerun of CSI Miami yesterday with David Crusoe. So I'm trying to really think about what the universe wants for us and when it's going to come. And it doesn't always come when we expect it or when we need it. So I'm putting a lot of faith into the universe and I hope you are too. And I hope there'll be nothing but blessings and good things coming to us in 2024 because, oh man, we need it. Now let's get down to music. Obviously, my favorite is going to be Depeche Mode because I totally forgot to even play the song, but let's just wrap it up one more time. 
the first song that for the insane did very much fit into like the seedy outdoor erotic film festival critics choice or whatever it was vibe now this was the depeche mode song i forgot to play for y'all this is never let me down again the quote aggro mix Right? That's definitely going to take my top choice because that's just like a great workout song. Then we have The Story Never Ends by Naked Prey, which was played at Wankers Away. I hope that was the place of it. It said it was Venice Theater. And I was like, was that here in Los Angeles? Was that exterior? Because I couldn't find the filming location for it. Interesting, right? Then we have Pleasure Little Treasure by Depeche Mode again when they go to Glance's party and then the edge of town as Crockett is driving around. I would say Never Let Me Down Again is going to be first and then the edge of town will definitely be second. And before I forget, I totally forgot. (laughs) The whole point is that Crockett takes the award from Glanz after bitch slapping him up the stairs and gives it to the homeless guy outside who they exploited for that weird art installation where they wrap in saran wrap and paint over his eyes in red. I also like that he has one lens in, one lens out. Just a very good look. And again, it's like that super iconic shot of Crockett holding the award and handing it to the guy. I'm so sorry. I totally skipped through it to like the end in my gallery. I just get the bitch slapping up the stairs and then I totally scroll down. So don't at me. (laughs) Now let's get to fashion. So the one gripe is that There could have been better dressed men in this episode. Crockett in the purple striped shirt when he gives Gina the cat kind of takes the show. We also have a uh, lot of interestingly dressed extras at this film festival, which I like. I like the smoking one with like the hair basically like curled and shellacked back the ones hanging out of the window all the accessories i like the one in the pink bustier but yeah like the male the the men in this episode weren't dressed anything that like really caught my eye i'm just obviously i'm going to give this no surprise best dressed women it's going to be a tie between margot at the party decked out in gold with the hair blown back looking like a million bucks kelly lynch then we also have gina and trudy in the beginning in those cat suits and the earrings and the makeup looking like a million bucks outside decor i really like the courthouse again i'd always jive with the courthouse but wankers away with the anchor next to it along with milton's condo studio take the cake. And I also really like the different shot. You have Crockett smiling when they're saran wrapping the homeless guy. And then at the end, it's such a different mood where it's pitch black in the apartment and not much lighting. I really like that juxtaposition. Now, wild card or more appropriately, the guy that will haunt my dreams is the announcer who's like squinting super hard with the hands sewn onto the jacket. And this is the voice changer. If you need to jog your, my memory. Ugh. The 11th Avenue Continental Erotic Film Critics Festival. I'm sorry. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so creepy. It's so weird. But like that line, I remember when I watched it, I had to pause it. I just like I had to leave the room. I'm like, I cannot believe that. <laughs> That's what they're calling it. 
Oh, man. Now, speaking of quotes of this episode, number one, how are we going to top that? Number two, what could come close that's not super depressing? What's that doing here? Evidence. Oh, the cutest little member of the force, Gina's new kitty. Oh, yeah. I definitely want to give this to the star of the show, the star of this episode, unnamed orange kitten. Didn't want to get too depressing with my quote because my second choice was going to be, she's no beauty. (laughs) But I was like, oh, that's just like such a sad story. I can't even with it. I want to leave this on a happy note. Once again, thank you for following. Thank you for liking. Thank you for subscribing. Tell all your Mammy Vice friends about Vice and Easy. Feel free. Please follow, like, and subscribe and find my funny memes on at Vice and Easy podcast. And stay for the Grand Theft Auto 6 memes. We only got two more years to wait, everybody. So we'll definitely see how that's going to turn out. Now, in surprise to nobody, it's not taking place in the 80s. I knew that was too good to be true because I think now that people are so used to the technology with Grand Theft Auto 5, like you have your cell phone and all that and the internet and banking, I think making it online, I would have personally liked it was more analog online where you basically just make calls at payphones and you have to go to the hotel to save and you just go to the bank with your money and have that kind of like Scarface montage of just bringing in the duffel bags of cash and just playing push to the limit while smoking cigars and while they're counting your cash with the counters. I understand that that's not going to be what people want. And you have to understand, I have to understand that this is not for me. This is for a whole new generation of kids that I played Vice City when I was in high school. And now these kids are going to be in high school playing Grand Theft Auto 6. And that's going to be very uh, hard to take as I get older on this planet. But however, thank you for staying with me. Thank you for aging with me. Thank you for uh, walking through these episodes of season four with me. Get ready for next week, guys. Don't don't abandon me just yet. Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.